my friend Wes Nisker and colleague has a wonderful line that he includes at the end of that he used to include at the end of his broadcasts when he was a a DJ or a or a, a newscaster for KFOG. He used to say, "If you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own." And I thought of that tonight because tonight I wanted to uh, because I couldn't be because I can't be at the uh, what the traditional two month retreat that I used to be. A, a, um, I used to lead the at least one part, one month of the two-month retreat for, for more than 10 years that we have annually at Spirit Rock. Since I can't be part of that news, I thought that I would make one of my own, which is to make for our Sangha, for those of you who are interested, near and afar, who, those of you who may listen to the uh, talks here, to create a two-month retreat. We've done in the past year, we've done two 100-day practice periods, but I thought that this period we would make it the same as the two-month retreat at Spirit Rock, although traditionally, uh, well, actually, this one I wanted to call the Rains Retreat, and the Rains Retreat is a, part, a long tradition that goes back to the time of the Buddha. It's otherwise known as Vasa which is the time of the rains. Like, could, another title would be, a more modern title would be Monks in the Monsoon. Because during the monsoon season, at the time of the Buddha, it was really hard to, to move around, to walk. And in fact, the, the Buddha didn't want the monks to go on their normal walks because he didn't want the plants to be destroyed that were in the fields because they'd walk through the fields. And for other reasons as well, they would, and also the potential of killing bugs reminds us of that, that value that is put on the respect for all life. But every year for the three months of the monsoon, the nuns and the monks would go into retreat. They would step out of the, the hustle, the hubaloo, the hustle and bustle, and they would turn inward. And I think that February and March are our rains, our rainy season, wouldn't you say? And yet we tend to be zooming. We tend to be caught up in what Mary, uh, Amy Krauss Rosenthal uh, described as our number one preoccupation, which she called busyness. She said in one of her editorials, and I know many of you have heard this before, she said, how have you been? Someone's asked. Busy. How's work? Busy. How was your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy's the answer. Yes, yes, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things, but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more way interesting ways and original ways, or more accurate ways, to answer the question, how are you? I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my home. I'm itchy 
Yet, busy stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I am busy is the short way of saying, implying my time is filled, my phone does not, does not stop ringing, and you, therefore, should think well of me. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? This week is crazy. I've got about ten caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? You can get the, you get the point here. She continues. She says, I have a hunch that there's a direct correlation between the advent of coffee bars and the increase of busyness. Look at us. We're all pros now at hailing cabs, making copies, carpooling, performing surgery with a a to-go cup in hand. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils, high not just on caffeine, but on caffeine's luscious byproduct, productivity. Ah, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. As kids, our stock answer to every question what did you do at school today? And I can, my, my daughter's just like this. It's amazing. She's, she, this was written for her. What did you do at school today? What's new? What's, nothing. In our country's history, there have been exactly seven kids who responded with a statement other than nothing. <laughs> then somewhere on the way to adulthood, we each took a 180-degree turn. We cashed in our nothing for busy. I'm starting to think that, like youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Maybe we should try reintroducing it into our grown-up vernacular. Nothing. I say it a few times, and I feel myself becoming more quiet, decaffeinated, zenish. Nothing. Now I'm picturing emptiness, a white blanket, a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How did we get so far away from it? So that's kind of a beautiful ideal to just step out of the stream of busyness. But there are ways that we can do that moment by moment. And those of you who've taken on meditation practice know that all we have at any time is moments. And no matter how high your ideal in practice or what it is that, uh, what it is that you want to accomplish, it can only be fulfilled by how you take care of one moment, because there is only one moment at a time. The past ones are gone, future ones unborn. There's only this unfolding present. There's no time, really. It's just an idea. There's no future. It doesn't exist. It's just an idea that arises as a thought in the present moment. There's no past, another idea that arises in the present moment. Yet our busyness tends to generate such a trance of time, such a trance of leaning from back somewhere to somewhere ahead, when in fact we never leave the present. There's only one moment at a time. You can't take care of the one that's happened already. It's gone. And you can't take care of the one that hasn't happened yet. It's unborn. There's only this present. And in the busyness the tension that's produced by busyness, by our excessive busyness, the tension that's produced by that spawns this imaginary world that increases the sense of tension and the sense of disconnection with nature, which is just a moment at a time, which is just as simple as a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond, but it's also as simple as any one of us 
taking a step, walking down the sidewalk, and for that moment knowing we're walking, or taking a sip of our tea and noticing that we're drinking tea, hearing the sound of the traffic and even the alarms and knowing we're hearing alarms. That simple. And because of the excessive busyness and our tendency toward being completely disconnected from the natural rhythms of life, we sometimes need uh, to retreat. And most of us maybe can't afford to go off to the two-month retreat, either our work demands or our family demands or our, or our whatever struggles we're dealing with, financial otherwise. We can't very well step out of the stream of busyness and actually go on an actual formal retreat but we can formalize our moments of our daily life. And we can create our own hybrid version of a rains retreat, of a vasa, because this time of year, this is the dark time of year. Every other species chills out this time of year, except us. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils. And, we, and you can't give us enough caffeine Because we're so exhausted from, from all this all this state of what the Buddha called bhava or becoming, this constant toppling forward into the next moment, the obsession with getting somewhere, becoming someone, acquiring something. So we have to take it upon ourselves sometimes to see that our cultural message is... is um, will keep us in the state of frenzy. It's, we've lost touch with nature. So our whole, the whole purpose of meditation practice is to reclaim our nature, is to go back to nature, to realize the riches that are right here. And it, do, and it doesn't mean that you have to start doing everything slow, slowly in your life. In fact, you can move at a pretty good pace, but you can do it in a way that you're settled back that you're actually meditating as you move, meditation in action, and to, to reclaim the sense of inner, inner um, peace. I started the meditation tonight by talking about taking refuge, about coming from the hustle-bustle into the temple. That's a certain kind of taking refuge from the monsoons. But then we take refuge on our cushion, which is the refuge from excessive busyness. And then while on the cushion, we slowly, slowly, as we settle in, we begin to awaken to a more a, an inner refuge, not just inside the temple, but inside the, the, the great emptiness and stillness of the heart, the place where that each of us is in our deepest nature that is unshakable, that is peace itself, that is freedom itself, the very nature of your own mind as it sits here right now. Not the, the secondhand version that you recognize as the thinking mind, but the, the one who knows, that pure knowing within you. Just that the sense of uh, the one that's aware of being aware. Awareness is silent. It has no location. 
It has no, it has no beginning. It has no end. It's, un, it's immovable, always available. Even though it gets covered by the clouds of confusion, you have within you, as, as Albert Camus said, when he said, in the midst of winter, I realized that there was within me an invincible summer. We have within us a deep refuge that we can contact in any moment. And it's not something that we uh, develop, really. It's not something that we become. It's something that we realize, that we recover, discover, that's already, always and already here. It's that reclamation project, as Thich Nhat Hanh puts it, you, who are the, absolutely the richest person on earth, Now, obviously, he doesn't mean your bank account. Nobody in here is Warren Buffett. But anyone here who knows your true home is wealthier than Warren Buffett could ever be. He says, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. He doesn't mean some great exotic meditation experiences. He means just the simple, the simple reality of availability of freedom, of connection, of a sense of oneness with life that is a split second, a half breath away, always here, and so easily missed in the hustle bustle. And so the reminder that even if you take on with great passion, and I recommend that you take on with great passion, practicing in a more intensive way over these 60 days, the whole point of it, the whole point of the 60 days is fulfilled by how you do each moment. Because there's nothing, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to get to other than a deeper realization of what's always and already here, how everything becomes enlightened. When you're present, when you're not lost in your internal drama for one moment, everything becomes illuminated. I'll guarantee you, if you spend a few minutes tonight, even here in this room tonight, if you spend a few minutes not looking ahead, not looking back, and not thinking about yourself for a little bit, if you just let yourself be here a little bit, you'll notice that things get a little brighter. You'll notice that you feel a little more connected with yourself, with everybody around you. You'll notice that you feel more like yourself, not like, not somehow some version of yourself that you think you should be or who others think you should be, but just the, the naturalness of conscious being. Remember, Sri Nisargadatta says, nothing can make you happier than you are. That all search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery. That the only worth, and only thing worth that name, happiness, is the natural happiness of, of conscious being. So just check it out. Now, how would you, if you can sense it even for a few minutes here tonight, how you come alive, 
everything gets a little brighter, everything becomes enlivened, enlightened when we're present. Just think what can happen if you start exploiting the present moment for the next 60 days in a less broken up way than you normally do. And I'm not excessively ambitious in my, in my view for you of, of how much practice. The way we did it during the last couple 100-day retreats was I encouraged everyone to, do, to take four times a day at least to formalize your practice, to do more formal sitting or walking practice, to put your mind in your body to, and to stay with it for a little bit. And for those who felt that, that a long period would be too much, even, even quickies, what I call the quickies, the three-minute meditation, even that can very much change your consciousness. But four times a day formalizing this, and I'll just give you the example of the quickie, and you can do it as long as you like to do it, but you start with finding your sitting posture or standing if you're standing or even if you're sitting in your car, not driving. That's another meditation, this driving meditation. But you're sitting, standing, even lying down. You find the felt experience of your body. You sense it for a moment. You can start it right here. Just see what it's like to feel your body sitting. See, we're normally in the idea of our body or the picture of our body or, you know, body image or beautifying it or whatever. We're often not feeling it. It's the same with our feelings. We're often thinking about our feelings. We're not actually feeling them. So this is an invitation to actually feel the sense of aliveness, the sense of the way consciousness animates your body and you feel it the way that sensation is the sign. If you feel the contact of your rear, if you feel the, the vibration of your body, the aliveness. If you feel places of tension or pain, feel heaviness, lightness, whatever it is that you feel, it's not always pleasant. You just find it for a moment. And once you know that you've found your body, now find your breath and just notice how your breath, how your body is breathing itself, and just feel your breath. And once you've found your breath for a few moments, you can, in your, your own version of this in your daily life, you can extend this for quite a long time to find your breath and just ride the waves of your breath like we did tonight for the practice period as our primary anchor. But in the quickie, you just find it just for a few moments, a few full breaths that you're mindful from beginning to end, and then scan your body. Scan your body from head to toe and just sense what's happening in my body right now. You can even ask that question. It doesn't have to be verbally, but it's kind of implicit. What's what's happening in my body? And then scan your mood, your your mental states, states of heart and mind. What's going on in my emotional body right now? How am I feeling? can check that out even right now. Happy, sad, easy, bored, frustrated, impatient, excited, stoned, whatever it is. 
So check out what's happening in your heart-mind. And then notice, what am I thinking about? What's going on in my, in the door of perception called mind, the thinking mind? And by that time, there's usually not a lot going on, but there may, you, it may just be a review of what you've been ruminating about up to that point. So this should take about three minutes. Now, you're, 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 uh, you're free to do this ten times a day. That would only be about 30 minutes. It's not much, is it? Ten quickies a day. But four periods a day at least, and hopefully extended periods where you sit or you do some walking practice or you do some loving-kindness practice where you generate thoughts and feelings of loving-kindness toward yourself, toward others. And I think most of you know that practice already, but uh, I'll review it during these 60 days. I use some traditional phrases just as a sneak preview. I like to, toward myself first of all, then toward traditionally toward someone who has been beneficial in your life, a benefactor, someone you respect a lot, uh, you, and then moving on to who, uh, dear friends, moving on to people who you don't notice, invisible, indifferent people, people who are, and then finally people who you, are your difficult people in your life. And with each category, you generate the thoughts. I'll start with myself. May I be happy and peaceful. This is one of the traditional combinations. Happy and peaceful. May I feel safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May I feel healthy and strong and all at the same time accepting my limitations graciously. And may I have ease of well-being. That's a traditional phrase as well. Happy and peaceful, safe and protected, healthy and strong, ease of well-being. And you can make up any number. May I accept myself as I am. That's a you can do that all day long. It won't hurt. It's an intention to stop beating yourself up. What a great thing to do for 60 days. So any number of ways that you can practice. You can practice uh, taking care of every day, doing something, formalizing something where you take care of your body, where you prepare a meal very mindfully, where you take care of yourself very well, so that you start to infuse your life with wholesome habits. I think I spoke last week. Maybe I did and maybe I didn't. I don't remember. But I spoke about wise effort. And wise effort includes what are called the four great efforts. The effort to cultivate in one's life what is wholesome, to incline toward the wholesome, and to maintain what is wholesome and healthy in one's life. The second part, that's cultivate and maintain. The second part is to abandon the unwholesome, which means stop doing the things that cause suffering and keep the things that, that cause suffering in your life from arising. Just make your mind so strong, make yourself so present, bring yourself so passionately into the present moment that your desire to make some mess somewhere diminishes. That you don't, you don't need to hit that buy button on eBay or whatever. You don't need to take that drink or whatever that is that, that you know is not so good or take something that's not offered or, or exploit 
get caught in some kind of compulsive sexuality or causing harm in one way or with your speech. Restrain yourself through careful attention moment to moment. This is a, a possibility. As, are any of you getting any ideas of what you might want to do for your 60 days? Anybody get any, any ideas? Uh, go to bed on time. Anyone else want to just throw it into the room? Some ideas. Eat mindfully. Beautiful. Anyone else? Turn off the TV. That's all? <laughs> just kidding. Stop procrastinating. Okay. Good luck with that one. <laughs> That's, no, you can do it. You can do it. This is why we have a song, we have a community to help uh, support it. And to, as a, um, a part of this and part of the, the fact that we can't do these things alone very well, I don't think anybody can do this alone. I highly recommend, as I did the last time, highly recommend that you get some buddy. You find another person who you want to spend some time, who you can check in with once a day or uh, every other day or some way that you're, that you're accountable to someone. And I, as I did last time, I uh, invite you to let me know what your commitment is for the 60 days. And as, as an extra support for this particular two-month practice period, this Vasa, this Rains retreat, I will be leading two half-day retreats at the one-month point and at the two-month point as a kind of grand, grand finale. And we can, we'll do a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour morning practice period. We won't be sitting the whole time. We'll be sitting, walking, talking, and reviewing. And hopefully it will will help uh, contain and kind of give a give support to your practice period. Please, Margaret. These heavy, ancient voices come in once you commit to doing something. Yeah, turn it in. That it, turn it into a unhealthy, heavy thing like a meal that you where you ate too much and you're sorry you ever ate. <laughs> so much, so much judgment. So, my, so have, I, I have a feeling other people resonate. Whenever you make a commitment, your your super ego comes in and and does a does a punishing number. And makes it almost insurmountable. My recommendation is that you use that as a reminder to, especially to practice loving kindness. To use it every single time you even get an inclination of that voice. And if you did nothing the whole 60 days but caress your heart, wish yourself well, and while you're at it, wish others well, that would be fine. So no heavy trips, and if the heavy trips come, put it to good use. And also experience what that's like so that it becomes also a compassion door for you so it actually cracks you open a little bit. Um, 
if you really get the full hurt of that, the full weight of it, I think you'll, um, I think you'll care a lot about yourself, and you'll probably toss it away, stop believing it. In other words, and we 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 do run into obstacles. That's why the one of the weeks I'll probably talk about the hindrances again. That's whether you practice one day or fifty years, we all deal with the common common hindrances of, of wanting what we don't have, aversion to what we do have, or whatever's happening, restlessness and agitation, sloth and torpor and doubt. I think I, I can tell you're already connecting with the something, with the weight of it maybe. Yeah, so yeah, let it tenderize your heart. It's, yeah. Whatever that heaviness is, it's, it, I think it, in some twisted way it's it's been trying to be, it's been trying to serve you in some way, but it's just a it's just diluted. So try to make peace with it. Please, no Amy. Piggyback. You made a list the last time and you fell short. And okay with falling short. Right. You made peace with how it was and that was part of the meditation, just doing what you could do. Beautiful. Listen, there's no there's no cookie cutter model that you need to follow, but just know that there for sixty days other people will be uh, practicing. And I think I want to frame it. I I would love for you to reflect on it as a, a back to nature practice. I think everything in our organism. I don't mean our our mental conditioning, but everything in our organism says. Take your time right now. Don't be in such a rush. Sleep a little more. You know, the people I know who, and few of them are in this room here, people I know who don't have regular jobs, they've been sleeping a lot more this time of year. That's what happens naturally. And, of course, our de- the demands of our life, may, we may have to get out of bed because of our job, but there are many, we can get off of that wheel more often than we think. And... What I'd like to suggest, or what I suggested already, is that we can get off of that wheel every moment. Even through the day, as we walk down the hall at work, we can get off that wheel. We can get off the gerbil wheel. If you just feel your steps as you step. If you, somebody said, eat mindfully, I forgot. Thank you. If you just take a bite, and for one, for one bite in the span of your life, Feel yourself chew. Feel the burst of flavor. Notice what it's like to swallow. Notice what it's like to to put down the fork before your stomach is completely full. Where there's five bites left in your stomach, that's the traditional recommendation for wise eating. Do you know that that uh, excessive excessive food is one of those things that leads to dullness, makes our mind dull. And then we have to ha- drink more caffeine in order to function. We're nuts. And we can become quite un-nuts. 
And that's, that's all I want. <laughs> Let's see if there's anything else I want to say. So one of, a few things I wanted to, to offer in support is, since this is very much in keeping with the tradition that goes back 2,500 years, I thought that we would, if you like, doesn't mean you're becoming Buddhists, unless, you, of course, you want to be, but we can do what the nuns and the monks do, which is take refuge. We take the traditional refuges of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And I described it a little bit during the sitting that the Buddha is that, that capacity in us to be awake. Buddha means awake. So it means to, to stay awake moment to moment. I don't mean the difference between asleep and awake. I mean awake meaning mindful, meaning aware having clear perception that you're actually here. It's different than just being awake and, sl- and kind of sleepwalking. It means being mindfully aware. It means clearly comprehending where you are, what's going on. So this is to take refuge in this is to take refuge in the Buddha. This is a different refuge than the shopping mall. Refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, which means... Uh, not in the Dharma is things as they are. Dharma is the truth, how it is, the way of things. And it's not how they ought to be, should be, could be, would be, can be, but how they are. So you start first and foremost, before you start changing the world, try to see it clearly, how it is. So commit yourself during these 60 days to the Buddha, the Dharma. Dharma is also the teachings and the support of the teachings. And then last, the third commitment or the third refuge, support, is, uh, is refuge in the Sangha, the sacred power of, of uh, connecting with like-minded people, people who also are interested in staying awake and interested in living in truth, truth as a hub around which you live your life. Stop lying to yourselves. Stop lying to others. Stop exaggerating. Stop making up stories about yourself, going story shopping in your mind for a way of describing yourself. Get real. What is really real about you right now? What's authentic? And taking refuge in that. And then the support of other people who are doing that is Sangha. So traditionally, this is chanted every day at, in monasteries and practice, uh, practice centers. So I like us to chant together the refuges. And then we'll do the five training precepts or guidelines that help ways of protecting ourselves and others during the 60 days. So we'll do these call and response so you don't have to know them. And we'll do them in Pali, which is the language, scriptural language that goes back almost to the time of the Buddha. And it's um, basically you'll go, I go to the Buddha for refuge. Remember, it doesn't have to be the outer Buddha, although you can be inspired by the outer Buddha. But the inner Buddha, the one who in you who's conscious and knows, take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha three times. I'll do a very brief introduction. Han Tamayan Buddha Ratana Satinayan Jakaromase Namo Tasa. Your turn. Nam Bhagavato Arahato 
Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Budam Saranga Chami Budam Saranga Chami Damang Saranga Chami Saranga Sangam Saranga Chami Saranga Chami Dutiampi Budang Saranga Chami Dutiampi Damang Saranga Chami Dutiampi Sangam Saranga Chami Tatiampi Budang Saranga Chami Tatiampi Damang Saranga Chami Tatiampi Sangam Saranga Chami So we'll do the five training guidelines in this is a close to a Thich Han version. There are trainings for non harming. We can do these inwardly. I'll just read them in English and just take them to heart and perhaps make the commitment for this next 60 days, whether you're part of the 60-day retreat or not. Make this as a commitment for your life, hopefully. Number one, aware of the suffering caused by violence. I undertake the training to refrain from killing or committing violence toward living beings. I will attempt to treat all living beings with compassion and loving-kindness. Aware of the suffering caused by theft, I undertake the training to refrain from stealing, from taking what is not given. I will attempt to practice generosity and will be mindful of how I use the world's resources. Number three, aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I undertake the training to refrain from using sex in ways that are harmful to myself or to others. I will attempt to express my sexuality in ways that bring joy and feelings of connection. Four, aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech. I undertake the training to refrain from lying, from harsh speech, from slander, from idle speech. I will attempt to speak and write in ways that are both truthful and appropriate. Five, Aware of the suffering caused by alcohol and drugs, I undertake the training to refrain from misusing intoxicants that dull and confuse the mind. I will attempt to cultivate a clear mind and an open heart. So may this 
ethical, moral commitment, these guidelines be dedicated uh, to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May they be the cause of great happiness, of sukha, as the word is in Pali. And may this practice period be the cause of great happiness. Remembering that uh, it, this 60 days is 60 days in the span of our life. Every day, every moment is precious. But it's important that you don't evaluate how it's going. Taking the Dalai Lama's recommendation, don't evaluate your practice at all except over maybe 10 or 20 years. Meanwhile, just practice. Remember what Zen, Dogen Zenji, how Dogen Zenji put it, Meditation is not a means of awakening or enlightenment. It is enlightenment itself. So it is fulfilled by every moment that you just stay present. I spoke some about the formal periods, but the informal periods are every moment. Every moment, while you're driving, while you're walking down the street, the continuity of practice in the small ways, in your, at your sink, on your toilet, how you make your bed, how you put your clothes on and take them off, how you hang your clothes, how you clean up your... I would highly recommend that you clean up your homes, clean up your spaces. Clean external environment tends to reflect back to a clean internal environment and vice versa. So spread this mindful attention to every element of your life, formally and informally. You have your... Would background music be a distraction? I think that's completely up to you. If, if you're listening to music, I would listen to music that helps you connect with your heart and with your body and brings you more into a sense of immediacy. And supports like that are fine, just like counting breaths are fine if you're trying to stay connected to your, to your body breathing. So any tool, if the intention is wise, will be helpful. You can also practice renunciation, too, practice simplicity. And it, one of those uh, kinds of renunciation may be music, if you're a compulsive music listener. So, Really, it depends on what the motivation is. Anyway, we are at the end of our evening. I appreciate everybody hanging in there because I know some of you may not be so interested in a 60-day period. But I, but on the other hand, I hope all of you kind of jump into this. Just, you know, it's something we're making up. It's not mandatory. It's something that hopefully will be of some support to you. So may you all be enlightened, continue to be enlightened moment by moment. And let's just consider if there's been any advantage to us being together that even tonight, that we share it far and wide with all beings and, uh, and send our blessings and our, the goodness of our practice with a deep wish that everybody, everywhere, all circumstances, all situations, all ages, that all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives and the causes of happiness and peace increasing, and that all beings can be free of of suffering and the causes of suffering, especially the mental suffering, because nobody can avoid the the basic stress of life. Hope that the causes of mental suffering decrease and 
a deep wish that all beings can recognize that immovable, that, that sacred happiness that is without sorrow, always here, available here and now. And that all beings, if not realizing the deepest truth, at least grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the, the joys and the sorrows that everybody faces, but with more balance, with less reactivity. So may all beings be free and be happy, and may our practice benefit all beings. Just two more minutes of patience, if you don't mind. Big announcement tonight as well. We have just, through the great work of several of our planning committee, Sangha members, there has been uh, launched on our website a new Sangha services directory. I'm going to read the first paragraph since I don't really have anything prepared here. It says, we're excited to announce the launch of the Mission Dharma Sangha services directory on the Mission Dharma website. Directory is a place for Sangha members to offer their skills or services to the community. We believe that many of you could benefit by letting our Sangha members know what you have to offer as your livelihood. If you are fortunate enough to financially benefit from a Sangha member using your service, you may consider offering a portion of what you have gained as a dana to Mission Dharma. The, the pattern keeps alive a 2,500-year tradition of mutual benefit of generosity. By working together, we can invest our resources in our community, help to build the Sangha we are creating together. So you can go and check this out, and there's a way of signing up, and there's a whole little questionnaire, a few little things that you fill out, and you might have fun with it. Linda? The two retreats will be March 1st, March 3rd, and March 31st. And that will be at, we'll announce all that before the end of the month. Last but not least, a day long, this Saturday at Spirit Rock that I'll be leading. Uh, it's a wonderful day of practicing loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, and just hanging out at Spirit Rock. Please come. It's actually a little bit undersubscribed. But, uh, and so there's some flyers in the back, but it's always fun to practice together a whole day, and it's rare in this life, and it's a good way of launching your 60 days too. Please. We'll be here. We'll be here if Valentine's Day on a Tuesday. Last but not least, the Donna basket, $150 a night for our room rental. Great appreciation. Teacher Donna, same basket. My offering is the teaching, yours if you feel to. Offer support. Thank you. Good luck with your practice. Don't be tentative. <laughs>